0: Do you think work can change the world do you have a little rebel in you if you said yes this is your podcast you don't have to settle for bad management bad leadership and bad workplaces there are better ways let's find them together i'm your host stash d walsh and this is insubordinate better workplaces better world Welcome back to the program. In the last episode on expectations, we talked a little bit about a leadership and organizational issue that I call bait and switch. And I provided some detail about that, but I thought we'd get a little bit further into that today because it happens a lot and it happens in a lot of different areas. And it's a fairly easy thing to fix but most organizations are still perpetuating this on their people. In the last episode, I talked about it from the perspective of recruiting, the recruiting piece that says how wonderful you are and how excited we are to work with you and all of the different things that we think you're going to be able to accomplish here and so much potential and all of these other things. Before you start working there, But after you start working there, once you get in the door, it becomes about your blind spots and your weaknesses and maintaining a status quo and fixing what's wrong with you. So the bait and switch being you're so great before you get here, but once you get here, all we can see is the problem and you're the problem and we feel like we need to fix you. And all of the talk about your value and the things that you're going to be adding and your strengths and your talents and your experiences, the things that they were excited about in the recruiting process, go away. That all by itself is a pretty significant problem because in the context we talked about with expectations, if you're not identifying and affirming people's gifts, people's talents, what enables them to meet your expectations, then you're getting it in the wrong order. And so that's part of the problem for sure. But in some ways, it's just plain old disingenuous. Because if we're asking people to contribute their best selves, if we're asking people to buy into some vision of the future or some mission or purpose that we're trying to create within our organization, no matter what kind of organization we're in, and apply that extra energy of engagement or the full measure of their talent into this vision, into this mission, into this purpose, into this project, and what we mostly want to talk to them about is their weaknesses, their blind spots, the things that they're not doing right or well in our eyes, when most of the time those things are just different styles, not necessarily things that are getting in the way of someone else's performance or their own performance or the organization's performance, that's a problem. And organizations obviously can fix that pretty easily by focusing on people's strengths, focusing on what they do well, and inviting them into spaces where they can leverage those talents and those abilities toward the organization's mission and purpose and the projects and the goals that they have. And that's what they say they want to do in the interview process and the recruiting process. But then once the proverbial rubber meets the road and the individual is part of the organization, that tends to change. Unfortunately, though, that's not the only thing that organizations and individual managers and individual leaders tend to do in this space. For example, I worked for an organization once upon a time where part of the quote unquote employee value proposition, and I'll get to that term and what it means in a minute, but part of the employee value proposition was we have unlimited time off. You can take time off at your own discretion which basically means we have a policy where it's flexible. You can work when you need to work. And as long as you're performing, then everything's going to be okay. That sounds great. But when you dig into that, here's what happens. The expectation at this organization was that you're going to work 2200 hours a year. Quick math on that is if you take two weeks of vacation and you work 50 weeks a year, then that's a 44-hour work week, which at a lot of places is normal, a lot of places is average, at least in this country, in the US. And okay, fine. You can argue about that if you want, about the work week shouldn't be expected to be more than 40 hours, and you'd have a legitimate point if that's the point you want to make because you're on a salaried position. This organization could make that argument because they had bonus pay that was based on how many hours you worked based on the number of hours you worked to clients, things like that. So there was incentive to be working more if you wanted to work more. But the base expectation with that math is that you were going to be working 44 hours a week, no matter what. And that doesn't include any time that you might have gotten sick. That doesn't include any sort of personal days. God forbid something bad happens or something happens with the weather or your childcare or whatever else. Those would be additional days on top of that. And that's also assuming that there is no such thing as a national holiday. So New Year's Day, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Fourth of July in the U.S., etc. Those days don't exist. And if you take those days off, if you take an extra day off for those days, then obviously then the base number of hours that you need to work increases. So that becomes a... Tension that every single person in the organization had to maintain. It sounds like a terrific benefit. Oh gosh, I can take time off whenever I want or need to take time off. That sounds wonderful. Yes, but you have to make up the time. You have to make up the time. You have to be able to reach the the standard for number of hours worked, which means any week you or day you don't work has to be made up someplace else, and. It was included in this that you would have a percentage of those hours that you met were working directly with clients, not on any kind of administrative work or things that you would be doing internally. So again, those hours would need to be made up. The value proposition there was flexibility, but it wasn't necessarily that you were going to be able to take time off. In fact, it was set up in a way that you would be punished for taking time off. And then go back to the, what would in essence be called a pay for performance model or a pay for activity model. And if you're working those extra hours to make more money, or if you're putting in extra time that you would be able to make more money, if you have those eliminated because you took vacation, then you would need to make those up another place as well in order to be able to achieve the salary that you set out to achieve or the one that they told you you could achieve at the beginning during the recruiting process. That is one more example of how this bait-and-switch thing tends to work. It sounds good up front, but on the back end, if you do the math, it's not as great as it is portrayed to be. The employee value proposition is something that almost every single organization talks about in some sort of way and it's usually associated with uh, total rewards or terms like that where in essence the idea is what are we giving people who work here at a bare minimum there's always going to be some sort of remuneration a salary there's going to be some sort of benefit probably health care benefits or discounts on our products or services for example Some organizations get into the kinds of things we do around here every Friday or once a quarter or whatever it is. Those things all put into one package tends to be the quote unquote employee value proposition. That's important. It's important to identify those things. It can be a recruiting mechanism. It can be advantageous for people because different people are going to be motivated by different things. They're going to want different things from their employers and they're going to be willing to exchange their time for some things more than they are with others. Some people, it's pay. Other people, it's more flexibility, real flexibility, not the kind I just described. And other people, it's different things. Whatever that is, it's important to be able to define it because it helps people make informed decisions about how they work in a particular place. It also helps people who are in recruiting departments and in HR to be able to help people understand here's what's going to happen, here's what you're going to get if you work here. So I'm not saying that those things all by themselves are bad. However, when those things become more about here's what you're going to get in exchange for the very best parts of yourself, and then we don't really ask for or want the very best parts of yourself, then it becomes very, very transactional, if indeed it wasn't very transactional to begin with. It creates a very significant issue for not only the organization, but also for the people in it. Because when you look at that trade, when you look at that transaction, most people, because of the way we're made, because of the way we're designed, we want something bigger, something more out of our work. We want meaning and we want purpose and we want fulfillment and we want relationship And those things are the things that we don't really talk about in employee value propositions. In addition to that, it's almost like, I don't want to go too far with this, but it's almost like we're trying to bribe people into thinking that what they're doing is worthwhile. And what we're offering them is worth trading the 40 or 50 or how many of our hours they spend at work and away from the other pursuits in their life. It's worth doing that to be here. And no one's going to say that out loud, but in essence, that's what it is. It's also a little bit backwards because we have organizations all over the world that say things like our employees are our greatest asset or our people are our greatest asset. That's a nonsense statement because a, they're not yours. They're free to leave whenever they want. And many of them do. And if you're looking at people like an asset, then you're thinking about this all wrong. Instead of employee value proposition, it should actually be, okay, we have a proposition. We're going to value our employees. We're going to value our associates. We're going to value our people. And that starts with who they are. That starts with what they're capable of, not here's what we have to offer you. And so therefore, will you come and work here? It's we actually think you have something unique and something worthwhile to bring. And here is the mission or the purpose or the meaningful work that we have on offer. And we want you to plug into that. And this is the invitation that we're making to you. That's the thing that could be fixed. The quote unquote employee value proposition stuff that comes with pay and benefits and all that sort of stuff. Those things are fine, but they're subject one A or B or C to that main header of Come and work here because this is what we're trying to do. Now, part of the problem with that is while most of us at some level are extrinsically motivated by the level of salary that we could achieve, that's not enough for most people. And there are a lot of organizations where, if they're, especially if they're publicly traded organizations, their primary goal is to provide value for their shareholders and to see their stock price increase. And if that's the case, then it's really hard for them to be able to sell that and also some sort of meaningful work at the same time. You can't very well go to people and say, hey, guess what? We're here to have meaningful work and we're here to have purpose and we're here to have mission. But oh, by the way, what really, really is important is how much money we make. And if we don't make enough money or if we don't show that to our our stakeholders and our shareholders, then the first thing that's going to go is people because those are the most expensive item lines on our budget. That's when people are in fact assets, when we start cutting them because they're the most expensive thing on a ledger. That's something that I think a lot of organizations could do a lot better because even if you're talking about something that doesn't seem like it's going to change the world, because I'm not asking for that. I'm not asking for something you're you're not, every organization is trying to cure cancer, but every organization can be doing something that makes the lives of other people better. I've worked with a lot of different kinds of organizations over the course of my career in consulting. And one of the ones that I liked the best was actually a retailer who talked about their ideal client as an individual person. And that's not uncommon. Lots of retailers do that. But this particular one went into pretty great depth on that and also talked about the way that this individual person feels when in the store having certain kind of experience the way this person feels wearing the clothes or the accessories that this retailer provides, what that means for that person's life, that kind of thing. If you're helping people in a way that says this is what's going to give you a greater level of confidence or help you feel like something is better in your world or better in your life, it's a look good, feel good kind of a philosophy, whether you agree with that philosophy or not, some people do. And it's creating that kind of picture and saying, this is what we're about. This is the meaning and the purpose of our work. This is the mission that we're on so that each person who comes into our retail environment feels like this is possible and we're going to help them get there. And our clothing, our accessories, the things that we offer are going to help them bridge the gap from point A to point B on whatever it is, their confidence or their feeling like they look good to the rest of the world whatever it is that i actually really like because it takes the time to think about what is the value we're trying to provide the the customer the stakeholder the shareholder that's on top of or at a higher level than just the well we want to sell as many things as we possibly can and make as much money as we possibly can it also gives associates who work in that particular place something to think about, uh, what's my best contribution to that? How do I contribute to that? How do I make it so that someone walks into our retail environment, walks in feeling one way and out feeling another way, or at least gives them the opportunity to think, I have had an experience here and I'm walking away with a product and a service that gives me a shot at whatever it is I'm, I wanted when I walked into this place, or maybe surprises me and gives me something that I wasn't actually expecting or desiring. But I realize now that this is at the core of why I shop here. Yes, that can be pushed too far. Yes, that can be manipulative. Yes, that can be all of the things that some of you are probably thinking right now. But that's a much, much better approach in my book than... Hey, here's the cold hard reality. We've got to make X number of dollars over the course of the next quarter. Here's our projected earnings. And if we hit that, then our stock price is going to go up. And if we don't hit that, then our stock price is going to go down. And I'm oversimplifying. I know that, but that piece of it has no bearing whatsoever to someone who shops at a particular retail environment. And it has very little bearing on somebody who works at that particular place as an hourly or entry-level type of associate. Why do I care? What does it matter? If all I'm trying to do here is get you to buy as many things as possible, then I'm probably better off just begging you. I'm probably better off to just say, hey, look, we really need this. And if it would help us a ton, if you just put this one extra item in your cart, you like it already, don't you? And why would we not do that? The, The bait and switch thing It's just so prevalent and it's just so prevalent in so many ways. And it results in a lack of transparency and it results in a lack of retention. And it also results in what most people would call the grind or burnout. The the feeling that I'm just going to spend my life doing this and I don't really have any sort of hope that it's going to make a difference or be worthwhile in any way other than just the transaction of I have enough money to pay my bills. I get to go on vacation once in a while. I can buy myself the things that I want, that kind of thing. And we need more than that. People need more than that. As individual managers and as individual leaders, the good news is we have a lot more control over that than we think. Even if the organization is putting together a blanket value proposition that we're giving people, here's the transaction that we're trying to make, here's what we're trying to accomplish as individual departments or in the organization, those things are always going to happen. But as individual managers and individual leaders, we have opportunities to have one-on-one conversations with people on our team. And as an aside, that's the very first thing that I say in trainings on management. I always ask people, how frequently are you meeting with your folks one-on-one? And if the answer to that is less than every other week, then it needs to be revisited. One-on-one meetings are exceptionally important and they're exceptionally powerful. Having those one-on-one meetings with people enables us to say, What is important to you about the work that we're doing? What would make it better for you? It's also a a point for us to be able to say, here's what I observe in your performance, in your behavior, in what you're bringing to your work that is laudable, commendable, wonderful. And how can we get you to do more of that or even better than that? What would you like to aim that at in terms of what we're trying to accomplish or the mission or the purpose that we're trying to achieve. So giving people an opportunity to have agency in that and autonomy in that and then trusting them to follow through on it because you said, here's where you're great instead of here's where you're falling short or here's where you're not quite up to the par or here's what's going to require for your next promotion or whatever else might be. So we have a large lever to pull As individual managers and leaders in this space. And we can help people feel a lot less like it's bait and switch, not only for the organization that they've joined, but also how they feel as individuals leveraging their talents towards something that hopefully is going to feel like it's meaningful, it's worthwhile, it has purpose. And yes, it provides me with the ability to have shelter, have food buy nice things, go on vacation, whatever it is that the remuneration provides you, whatever your motivation is for that. Make sure that as a manager, as a leader, you're leveraging the power you have, especially if you wake up and realize that your organization isn't doing this as well as they should. If your organization is guilty of this bait and switch that I've been talking about, and again, it happens in lots of other areas as well that we just don't go into today, If you recognize that your organization is doing that, it's even that much more important for you to be counteracting that as an individual leader. So as always, I hope this provides some sort of practical insight for you. I thank you for the gift of your attention. I will look forward to being with you again in a week. And in the meantime, stay with the program. Insubordinate episodes release weekly on Tuesday mornings. If you found this episode helpful, please consider rating or writing a review for the podcast or sharing it with a friend. As always, resources to help you are listed in the program notes. Until next time, stay with the program.